Welcome to podcast number 34, Addicted Substance Abuse Disorders. Now, I have struggled this week to really bring together my thoughts on the subject and that really has affected so many lives in painful ways. I really wanted the subject to be more about hope and recovery rather than what is always presented in other formats in the media. Addiction has led to so many difficult outcomes for both those who are affected by it and those who are afflicted by it. I think we all too often lose the perspective and the person who has an addiction really becomes the addiction. And I know that even with my understanding of mental illness and that power of the brain chemistry that I understand and what an added substance abuse disorder could likely cause, I still struggle to fully understand how difficult addiction can be to those who are really suffering from it. Now, addiction often caused by substance abuse disorders, are actually a category of disorders on their own. It simply means that the wiring in one's brain is set up to be more attracted to a particular substance or reward. It may not take very much time to create the dependency, but I can tell you it can take a lifetime to overcome one. Substance abuse disorders do not necessarily have to happen one at a time. You can have multiple substances and most multiple instances of the abuse disorder. What is important to note about a substance abuse disorder, though, is to understand that it is actually a weakness in the brain, part of the brain chemistry. And the brain is going to need a significant amount of training and help to overcome this addiction or this weakness in the brain. Now, our brains, or the brain, is very good at creating dependencies and habits. Uh, That's how we function on a regular basis. For the most part, our daily routines have been incorporated into habits we don't have to think about. If we had to think about everything we did subconsciously throughout the day, we would actually eat up a good portion of the brain power that we need for other things like working, creating, podcasting, and so forth. For instance, I doubt that you think about how much, well, okay, for instance, I doubt that you think about how you are brushing each of your teeth or eating every flake of your breakfast. The odds are when you're brushing your teeth or you're eating your breakfast, you are likely to be thinking about work, family problems, family, what you're going to be doing at the grocery store, what you need today. In other words, a whole bunch of other problems you need to solve. But not whether you got every tooth. Now, why? Because your brain has built habits. Now, habits aren't much different than addictions. We just simply call bad habits addictions. It's not surprising if you look at the number of habits we build to manage our lives that with just a little alteration in the brain and have that little alteration go a little haywire and all of a sudden desire substances and behaviors that are destructive to the mind and body, how difficult that could be. The question is probably more, why do individuals get addicted? Why do they continue to take substances detrimental to their health and mind if they know what they are taking is likely eventually going to kill them? The best thing to say about that is addictions have a funny way of walking around those little problems, those future problems. Addictive behaviors do not ever focus on the future, but in the current state of the body and mind, the present. Now, the feelings and desires from addictive behaviors can become so overpowering because of the brain chemistry and the pathway that has been built that the individual really no longer has a significant choice in the matter. Addictions don't see those consequences. It sees the reward chemistry in the brain. It's after that reward. That desire for the reward overpowers all other thought patterns 
in really truly developed addictions. That is why we really try to arrest addictions or to stop them early and before they become fully developed. Now, this is a podcast about mental health issues, and generally it's been about depression, anxiety, and bipolar. Now, it's important to understand that having a mental illness and a predisposition to substance abuse is going to be a far more toxic compound or mix of disorders. Now, compounding disorders, also known as comorbidites, I think that's correct, yeah, comorbidites, especially a substance abuse disorder with depression, anxiety, or bipolar is often a really, really serious condition. One that I will tell you does not end well on a regular basis. Dueling disorders that feed one another just simply become a juggernaut of tangled and commingled forces. Treating one disorder without treating the other is likely going to fail on a regular basis, meaning that if you don't treat the depression, anxiety, bipolar, and react perhaps only to an addictive behavior, the odds are several times higher that the addiction is going to return. So it is important that when someone who suffers begins treatment for addiction, that they also get checked out with professionals for other mental illness concerns. Now, addiction is not something we address on a regular basis in the church. We might think about it when we are discussing the word of wisdom, pornography, but outside of those subjects, it's not a word that most members would use. Now, I suppose that addiction has come to have some kind of dirty feel to it uh, as it has sat so long next to words such as addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography. We discreetly usher it kind of into the back rooms of the church where the magic recovery, recovery group meets. But for the most part, members of the church have very little understanding of the world of substance abuse disorder and probably actually have less tolerance for it than even a mental illness. Addiction is actually a very complex behavior, and it actually involves some of the high-powered reward centers in the brain. Now, addictive behaviors need more than just a simple removal of the substance or pleasure. They also need brain retraining. This is, a, fortunately, one of the good things about our brains, though. Our brains actually can be retrained and function at a very high level, even with portions of the brain gone or dead, as you might see in a stroke victim. One of the bad things about our brains is that they're very good at patterns. And once a pattern is established through the connectivity of neurons, through the powerful reward centers of the brain, then it has a tendency to stay even while the brain is retraining and after it's been retrained. All this really means is that recovery is a lifetime word. Now, for most people who have had or have addictions, they understand that. I think that it is also important to understand what I mean when I talk about addiction. For the most part, for the most part, the world is concerned with illicit drugs, smoking, alcohol. Um, also included that group is often abuse of prescription drugs. Now, at the church level, there are probably other things that could be included with the addictive disorder. One of the most pervasive and probably troubling is pornography. But there are such things as gaming, social media, sports, various hobbies. You get the idea. Honestly, if you really look at it, we have a tendency to kind of overindulge in all of those things that reward us in some ways. So for however, for the, you know, the, for the purpose of the discussion today, we'll keep the addictive substances to those that cause serious consequences spiritually, physically, or both. To be truthful, addiction does have kind of a leprosy quality in the church. 
Not sure that the reasons for the way it is really matter, and I doubt that my podcast is probably going to change that anything significantly. The reality is, is that for most of them, that reoccurring weaknesses and addiction is a constant reminder of their failures, weaknesses, and hopelessness for those who must stand by them and watch the addiction and recovery process in real time can be even more a painful experience. Whether that is a father, a mother, a son, daughter, friend, it makes very little difference. The person who has been asked to be a support mechanism for someone who is addicted is truly what we'd call my experience an angelic experience and perhaps one of the more rewarding and at times frustrating types of service one can render. Addictions and substance abuse disorders can be very difficult to understand for those who do not have them. For these people, the disorder can look from the outside like someone really isn't trying very hard to overcome their weakness. Uh, they really view addictions probably more as a self-discipline issue rather than a disorder or weakness in the brain. Unfortunately, it is often the same individuals that make it so difficult for those suffering to obtain kind of the real help that they need. This help can often only come in counseling and support groups. The real help they need from those around them is simply encouragement to pursue addiction recovery in whatever form that needs to take. Addiction recovery can be anything from a rehabilitation facility to counseling and support groups to medications. There is real no one-size-fit-all to the recovery problem. And just like a mental illness, addiction recovery is likely going to be a lifetime event. Now, there are some things to be discussed about addiction recovery before I wander too far into combining it with other mental illnesses. First of all, addictions don't always have a straight path from realization to recovered. You will find that addictions are not easy to break, often return when you least expect it, take time to actually alter the behaviors, and most of all, it is a process. You cannot look as an addiction as an on and off switch where one day you just will turn it off. It is going to take time and significant effort to retrain the brain and develop sufficient roadblocks so that the addiction stays in what we let's say called remission. So understand that an addiction is a path to recovery. Recovery is not necessarily a location, but a everyday road set of dis decisions that are going to need to be made for the rest of the person's life. Now, there are going to be moments of doubt, desire to return to old habits, mistakes, restarts, and most of all, growth. Recovery is really a fight from day to day. Now, each day as you cast off what doesn't work and take note of your successes, if you look at addiction from the perspective of the brain and the need to retrain the pathways often, it will help keep it in the path. Look to counseling and a variety of techniques they have developed for retraining the brain. Now, the worst thing you can do is give up. Everything else is a win. If you're still fighting, then you do have a chance at recovery and the opportunity for the Lord to put in his effort. Now, there are actually many reasons why addiction occurs, and I guess there are many ways how addiction can occur. What I really would want to discuss today is how it becomes or how it is so easily dovetailed into the world of mental illness. And when it does, how difficult it can be to extract and treat it. Now, while mental illnesses can come at any stage in life, often the disorders do begin to show up in the teenage years or even early 20s. For many individuals, it's a life, this is a time frame in their life of learning, understanding, it could be a time frame of confusion. 
The body is going to change in a variety of ways and at different times. And we are learning social behaviors and cultural behaviors and generally our place in a very complex society and within various associated groups, such as the church and our school. And that in and of itself would be sufficiently stressful and is tough for almost anyone. Now, adding the emergence of a mental illness into all that and the difficulties associated with the mental illness, and then the possibility of the predisposition to addictive behaviors, and you have built a pathway probably to long-term trouble if things aren't taken care of early in their life. Most often, addictive behaviors are going to show up as self-medication to a troubled situation. And that troubled situation can be a complex narrative of social influences, mental illness, hormonal, the desire to fit in, and the desire to simply feel whole and happy. Now, I have seen these issues arise regularly within the youth of the church. They're under such pressures within the church and within society with a compounding amount of information flowing at them consistently and a life that really probably changes balance regularly. Those who suffer from mental illness often do not have a place to turn and attempt to figure out kind of what's happening in their lives. They can feel lost, hopeless, desperate, cast out and misunderstood and mischaracterized and often marginalized. Their bodies are often controlling in many ways due to the unmanaged mental illness. And so they turn to substances that help them feel more normal. Generally, addiction is not, again, an off-and-on switch, but develops in a person based on their predisposition to the substances and also a variety of external cultural concerns and, of course, mental illness. However, once an addiction is turned on in the individual, it is likely to stay, and there is probably going to be a lifetime. Now, this doesn't mean that they're going to always be using the substance. It does mean that it is far easier to return to the substance at a later date. Addiction once means that it's always going to be there in the background. Now, it might be buried so deep that it is not an issue or ever will be, but it's always going to be there. So what does those mean for those who suffer with both the predisposition to substance abuse and mental illness? And then what implications does it have for them as members of the church? The odds actually are quite high of somebody having a mental disorder, a mental illness, and the predisposition to substance abuse. The statistics show about 50% of individuals will have both. Um, now, if you consider that 50%, then you're going to quickly realize that this is not going to be just a problem within our societies, but problem within the church membership. And generally, the most vulnerable are those who haven't yet developed that resistant self-discipline meaning young and young adults. This doesn't mean they aren't going to develop, develop an addictive behavior later. Later in life, it just simply means it's easier to develop when young is, one, is young and more moldable. Addictive behaviors are also easiest to arrest and fix early in the development of the addiction and as early in life as possible. So if you know someone who is dealing with depression and bipolar anxiety or other concern in their life, the odds are that they may also be dealing with some type of substance abuse disorder. And that includes members of the church. The abuse disorder may be as simple as taking prescription drugs outside of their design and purpose and even prescribed quantities, or it may be as complex as several substances at once. Now, working through the recovery of addiction is going to take time for everybody involved. It's going to require some serious commitments to individuals, both in time and effort. Those who are addicted to substances are likely to be successful, are not likely to be successful the first time they begin the process. 
There are some who do have success, but most are going to relapse at least once. Success is really going to depend on a variety of things, but how long the addiction has been able to function, the age of the person, their desire and will to be in recovery, their support system as far as friends, family, the severity of the disorder, and the severity of the mental illness. Now, the most important aspect of any recovery, obviously, is love, forgiveness, and time. It's going to take a great deal of tolerance, forgiveness, faith, and maybe even a little tough love, as long as the tough love is effective. Everyone involved needs to agree that the road is a road and not a destination. The person who is suffering is going to have to understand that checking phones, making sure you arrived where you were going, keeping tabs on what you're eating, what is in your personal space, and it is going to feel like an invasion of trust. But I would refer to it as an invasion of love and concern. If someone is willing to be that involved in your recovery, I would certainly consider it love. So where do you start on the road to recovery? Now, recovery can start as soon as the addiction becomes real. Until someone admits to the addictive behavior and realizes the nature of the control of the behavior, any type of recovery is going to be difficult at best. Admitting the addiction is not necessarily the path to recovery, but it is the start to the path. There are many individuals who do not see harm in the addiction or admit the addiction or admit to the addiction, but believe really they can lay it aside at any moment. Until they recognize the harm, the addiction, and that they need help, the addiction is likely probably going to control their lives. Recovery requires a significant effort from those who suffer, and they have to be fully committed to the change for it to even occur at a slow rate at times. Now, this is going to be the most difficult part of the addiction. It cannot be accomplished from the outside. Retraining the brain takes time, commitment, and effort, and really a half-hearted attempt is not going to produce the desired results. Even when somebody is fully committed to the processes and following the goals and plans outlined, they can fall off the wagon, as we say. And falling off the wagon is likely going to happen a few times with individuals who are seriously addicted and affected. The commitment must be more than simply getting on a plan of action and retraining. It must be a commitment to recommit if a bump in the road throws you off the side of the wagon. Recovery doesn't does eventually, over time, get easier. People are successful every day with their recoveries, and often enough time and retraining the pathway that once existed in the brain does actually fade, does eventually fade that pathway. Now, if you have a mental illness and a substance abuse disorder, then the cautionary tale of recovery becomes just a little more difficult. Both issues need to be addressed, and they may be feeding on one another. A problem in one area of the illness can cause increase or that the other side of the illness may be activated as well. So untangling those difficulties can take time, and so patience is going to be needed all around when we have a combination of the mental illness with a substance abuse disorder. Now, the mental illness is likely going to have ups and downs along the pathway of life, and life generally has a way of causing stress on mental illnesses. And so the addiction is going to not have to be only managed through normal recovery processes, but through at times difficult episodes of mental illness. I know I sound like everybody's probably going to die who has the two disorders and that there's actually no hope. Let me tell you that there is great hope and people work within the boundaries of the church, the mental illness and substance abuse disorders every day. 
The key is to get help and to stick with it. And to stick with it, even if you fall off the wagon a couple of times, or even more than a couple of times. Now, even though addiction within the church is a sensitive topic, and certainly holds a leprosy-like feel, there is great advantage to being within the boundaries of the gospel when you're battling addiction and a mental illness. The world has a lot of good methods of healing and retraining the mind and the body, and they do provide a significant amount of help to those who are trying to uh, get on that road to recovery. But having the power of the priesthood and the power of faith and power of healing to aid through the Lord is of significant benefit. Now, I've spoken many times in my podcasts about the power of the Lord and his ability to heal the soul and body. And I have perfect faith that the Lord could heal someone on the spot of their addiction. But I will tell you, for the most part, the Lord uses the processes of faith, time, best practices of medical professionals, and a required effort on the part of those who suffer and those who attend to them. The reason for this is that essential learning is going to occur on a part of those who suffer and those who attend to them. Now, this learning is actually quite powerful in many ways and teaches some very plain and simple truths about love, forgiveness, concern for others, hope, faith, healing, desires, repentance, and most of all, the atonement, and its power to heal in spiritual and physical ways. Now, you're going to find that within the church, the leadership is going to have limited understanding of mental illness and limited understanding of substance abuse disorders. So that means they're going to have limited understanding of both. Now, I realize this is not a new concept. We all understand this. The lay leadership of the church does not obtain any type of professional training for mental disorders or addictions. And so you should expect a little stumbling around in the dark when you start meeting with them about these things. The best thing you can do is educate yourself on the subject and then help the leader to help themselves and those who suffer. Now, I'm not saying that you need to take psychology classes and educate every bishop in the church. What I am saying is to be knowledgeable about the illness and the effects of that illness on your life or the one who is suffering. Now, the bishop has been placed in a position to judge spiritual matters and temporal ones to a point, but he does not have an endowment of knowledge when he is set apart, and the Lord gets to work with what he gets. So it is important to understand that the bishop might or might not know about various mental disorders and the facts behind them. For the most part, the bishop is going to defer all these psychological issues to professionals, and he's going to attempt to work within the spiritual, meaning that he's going to deal with the spiritual consequences of what is occurring. Often there is a pattern of sin that accompanies addiction. That is damaging to the soul. The sole intent of the bishop is really to help someone through that process of the atonement based on what he's seeing, knows, and has been taught. Now, understand that he does so with the intent to help and provide for the individual's salvation in the best way he feels. How? Now, I realize that with limited understanding of of addictive disorders and or the added mental illness side of things, they may do things that seem counterproductive to the situation, including imposing restrictions on someone who is already feeling quite terrible about the addiction due to depression or anxiety. Now, my answer to these types of questions is really to leave it in the Lord's hands as to what the bishop decides. However, if the bishop, if the decision of the bishop appears to ha- be having a counterproductive effect with the mental illness and the working through the mental illness, 
then it never hurts to have a discussion with the bishop. My experience is, is they are open to discussions and questions of this nature. And they really do want to help. Now, I know there have been some who have been hurt by leadership who simply don't understand a leadership who just doesn't understand mental illness and its effects. I wish I could say that every leader understood the nature of the beast and really acted according to understanding mental illness and these um, addictive behaviors. The truth is, is that you're unlikely to find very many of them who really truly understand. The same is really true for the world around us. Now, we would all love to be counseled by the Lord who understands everything completely, but he has to work with those whom he has called, and we are likely to be called to help in situations we don't fully understand. That is part of life and the gospel. We do our best with what we have and what the Lord gives. This means at times bishops are going to make judgments that don't seem to agree with what we see of the situation. I don't think that we are told enough that forgiveness means leadership as well, but it's true. Our leadership can and probably do make mistakes, and we are simply asked to forgive those mistakes. This is going to be especially true in situations where they don't understand the underlying causes, mental illnesses, or other issues. What I suggest when issues arise, you have questions, is simply to ask some questions and have a discussion. If you leave the accusations, fault-finding, and you made a mistake attitude at home, and simply come to understand the issue, I'm almost certain that you will find a good discussion. You never know what that discussion might bring to light, and it might it might what help it actually might provide. Now, while noting, now while nothing may be changed or even decided during that discussion, I can promise you that a discussion of understanding will remain with the bishop's mind for some time. I can still remember almost every one of those moments for me. Now, I'm probably out of time for today's episode, but I hope that what I have brought has brought some understanding into the picture of addiction and how you might be even helpful to another. Hope that you actually see addiction differently than you did before. And perhaps as it touches your life, you can lift another without judgment and love and love without prejudice. Now, may the Lord bless you in your endeavors to lift others into the light. And always and as always, the Lord does require the fight, no matter how small, and then he can do his part.